I don't like talking about this too much, but back in 1998, I was tasked to view the future of the U.S. up through 2050. In that section, I've got that in the year 2020, the first major event was going to happen that was going to basically close down cities, close down schools, isolate people, have them where their communication was through electronic means, that it would start in 2020, and that by the year 2040, approximately 75% of the population would be dead. Joining me on the podcast today is Lynn Buchanan, a former U.S. Army intelligence officer who was played by George Clooney in The Men Who Stir at Goats. Lynn was a trainer for the now declassified but top secret Project Stargate, whose task it was to train the U.S. military to become psychic soldiers. He is a gifted remote viewer, a psychic, the author of The Seventh Sense, The Secrets of Remote Viewing, and a man who has led an extraordinary life. This is Eyes Wide Open with me, your host, Lawrence Eastman. And if you want ad-free podcasts, behind-the-scenes footage, exclusive content, and great offers on live events, please join our community on Locals.com or Patreon. Links in the description below. And now, it's time for our guest, Lynn Buchanan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because over the past 18 months, I've kind of been, you know, engrossed in the, the, the area that you are, you know, exceptionally skilled in, which is remote viewing. But I know before we get into remote viewing, I know that you began your career, your extraordinary life, not began, but you know, you were worked for the US military intelligence can you tell us about, you know, how how you found yourself working for the U.S. military doing remote viewing? Tell us a little bit about your background, Lynn. Okay. Well, my background is in guided missile work and uh, computer work and other work that I can't mention for the, for the intelligence services. And over in Germany, I was working as an intercept operator. And an incident happened, which is barely covered in, in that movie, The Ministry of Goats, which is a joke, you know. But I have always had this TK ability, which has been a... TK, a, a more, te telekinesis, does that mean? Telekinesis or psychokinesis, all right, mind over matter. It's always been more of a burden than a blessing. And I got flaming, flaming angry one time. And uh, the uh, intelligence station, basically just the computers burned out. And uh, anyway, our commanding general back in Washington, General Bert Stubblebine, got wind of what had happened. He came out to the unit there in Germany and said, you know, he got up in my face and he said, did you kill my computers with your mind? And I thought, <laughs> I thought, I'm going to have grandkids paying for computers still. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I did. And so, this, so did, so, so let me just get this straight. You know, you were stationed in, in Germany and 
you, you found that you had the telekinesis natural ability what? and that you use this know. natural ability to attack computers. Yeah, I know that since I was 12. That, uh, But anyway, what? he this grin came over his face and he said, far effing out if I ever got a job for you. He took me back to D.C. to start a unit that would affect enemy computers. And uh, Congress would not fund that. They got caught back in the 60s doing mind control experiments, and they got burned for it very badly. And they said, this smites of mind control, we're not going to do that, not going to fund it. So there was in Washington, D.C., no job. And, you know, no assignment. So he took me out to this uh, unit out at Fort Meade, Maryland, and put me in there. And it was the remote viewing unit. And uh, they read me on, which is where they have you read this piece of paper that tells what the unit really does, not what they tell the public they do. And I read that and I thought, this is crazy. The military doesn't do this. And sure enough, they did do it. They did do the remote viewing, and uh, it became an interest of mine and was just fantastic. And I just, I loved it. It was the most interesting, probably the most exciting military assignment I'd ever had. Yeah. So let me give a little bit of a background from my perspective. I kind of got into this more deeply recently when I discovered a declassified CIA document, which it's subordinate reporting to his superior, and he's reporting upon his experience with the Gateway experience, which was in the Monroe Institute. And he was reporting back to his boss, basically saying that we have studied the Gateway experience and other things, and we can confirm that astral projection is real, time travel is possible, remote viewing and telekinesis are all real and are all possible. And in this document, he lays out, you know, how time and space work and, you know, all of these amazing ideas about how, what led to Project Stargate. And Project Stargate, as we understand it, is the US military's attempt to create a rival to the Soviet era Russians' psychic units where they were creating psychic soldiers. And this Project Stargate was America's response to the Russian effort. And that's, that's where you were brought into that unit to learn remote viewing. Is that what that was? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is about the all of the stuff that is considered woo-woo, it's been scientifically proven over and over and over in laboratory experiments, strict, squeaky clean experimentation. And uh, the general scientific community decides <clears throat> we don't believe it, so therefore we're not going to publish it, we're not going to do anything, you know. But yeah, it's real and it's usable and we used it. We used it to spy on other countries. Yep. Amazing. So, so for people that don't know what remote viewing is, can you give us, you know, uh, an explanation of what remote viewing is and how you used it? 
Yeah, the common term remote viewing today is the new age word for psychic that covers just about everything. What the military used has basically no relationship to that at all. The military's use, one has intuition to some degree. They have some psychic ability to some degree, but the ability is in your subconscious mind and it rarely ever comes up to the conscious mind. So a man named Ingo Swan developed a basically an interview and report technique where you interview your subconscious mind, ask it questions about something somewhere in space and time, and get the answer and report it. And so the method that the military used was not psychic. It was an interview and report process where you interview your own subconscious mind. And as, as that goes, you can teach it to anyone. And uh, whatever psychic ability they have, they can use it. Not only that, but once you learn to communicate with your own subconscious mind, you have to communicate in its language. And that's the whole secret of the CRV, control remote viewing that we use. Your, let's say somebody speaks Swahili and no English. You don't speak any Swahili, so you ask them a question in English and you get garbled for an answer. It's the same when you interview your subconscious mind. You have to learn to speak subconscious. And uh, that's what was developed. Once you do that, you can not only ask what's going on over in some building over in a foreign country. It knows why you do those things you don't want to do, why you don't do the things you want to do. And once it learns to communicate with you and you with it, all you have to do is ask and you get the answer. It's a, it's a fantastic thing that not only works for spying, but for many, many aspects of your life, you know, and your own personality, your, your, your spiritual life, your emotional life, everything. So anyway, the interview and report process actually starts with what Ingo pulled from, Ingo Swan, who invented this, pulled from martial arts. And we start out by saying, by training a person, we say, land. Make a graphic with a pen and paper of land. So you go like this. Now let's do water. Okay, like that. And we do this repeatedly thousands of times to where a person, when they hear the word water, they would go like this as a reflexive response. Then we can ask a person, okay, I have a sealed envelope here with a picture in it. Ask your subconscious mind what's on the picture. And your hand will go like this or like this. And you said, I don't know what's in the picture, but I know there's water and I know there's land. You open the envelope and there it is, you know. And, uh, and so by doing it in this way, you learn to physically connect with your own subconscious mind. 
Then we go into the later stages where it gets more complex and more effective. And uh, pretty soon, you get to where you can draw the floor plans of a building that you've never been to that's halfway around the world. You can find out what someone's plans and intentions are for the next day. You can help find missing children by describing their location. There was a film, I remember a film I watched when I was, uh, when I was a child. It was starred Christopher Walken, and it was called The Dead Zone. Uh, and his job oh. was somebody that could, uh, if he touched you, right, he could see the future or he could see events. And the police hired him, you know, as somebody to help when people would go missing, you know. And it, it was a horror film. I think it was, you know, more like showing the bad sides of, of remote viewing rather than showing it as a positive. But it, it was, I'll always remember the film, yeah, and... His role was to try and find dead people or people who had gone missing or bodies or, you know, children. Uh, but that's true, isn't it? There are people who are hired by the police to this day oh, yeah. to find missing people. Yeah, this is called psychometry. It's one aspect of the remote viewing. And uh, we have found that we can teach the border guards here, right on the Mexican border here, that we can teach the border guards here to... Here comes the physical aspect again, the martial arts aspect. When a car comes through the checkpoint at the border, touch the car. You'll know Amazing. whether there's a car or not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, you can, you can do this. This is teachable to anyone. Do you think that everybody has these latent psychic abilities to be able to you know transcend space and time for the ability to see into the future to see what's inside an envelope which has nothing to do with time does it it's more about space you know what what are your thoughts on on you know is this a, a suppressed human skill absolutely and uh, i have not so far but anyone who can't do this different people have different levels of ability, of course, just like any talent. And the hard to overcome is this thing that you've learned to not be psychic. <laughs> Society, religion, everything else has just beaten this into you. You know, you're psychic. You're going to hell, you know, <laughs> and, and it's not true. Mm. If, you know, I'm, I'm a very devout Christian myself. And if God gives you a gift and you don't use it to help people, to me, that's the sin. Yeah. Well, there's a very famous Catholic priest. He's dead now, but he was sainted very quickly. His name was Padre Pio. Have you heard of him? So he's a, a, an Italian Catholic priest, but he was undoubtedly endowed with psychic ability, but you know, the Catholics didn't want to call it psychic ability. And he, people would go to confession, right? And they go into the confession box and he was able to see the sin before yeah. the parishioner told him what the sin was. Yeah. So he was one, you know, he was a fully adept at the various facets of psychic ability, he could remote view, he astrally projected. Yeah, but I think he was, I think he was a little bit suppressed by the Catholic Church because they didn't really want 
that kind of information coming out. But you no, know, when he died, he was beatified very quickly and he's now now saint. But so in terms of remote viewing and how it works, because people listening to this who are of a skeptical nature, yeah, will sure. think yeah, this is crazy. It's beyond the physics as I know it and I understand it. And that's what I liked about the declassified CIA documents. It gave a scientific explanation of why and how this works, you know, in which he's talking about how we have two, two at least two realms, you know, is the finite universe, which is time and space linear, and then the infinite universe, which doesn't have any time or space. Everything exists in the same moment. And ultimately he kind of says, when we do hemisync, when we're synchronizing both hemispheres of the brain, that we're able to tap into the infinite and as a result, access all of the information of the universe in one moment. What's your understanding of, of the physics of how this works? Well, how it works. People ask me, where does the information come from? And everyone has tried to figure this out. Everyone has found some explanation that to them makes sense. They hang on to that explanation like they're lost at sea and it's the only thing that floats. And they won't give it up, even if you try to save them from it or whatever. The fact is, I don't care. I know it works. I know how to use it. And I know how to use it to help bring soldiers back from being captured, how to bring missing kids home, how to find evidence for the police, how we're doing a lot of space exploration and research work and all that. And I know it works. And uh, yeah, early on, I kept thinking, I've got to figure out how this works and why it works and all this. And at one point I just decided, hey, it works, use it. <laughs> and so yeah. to, to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah, is it? Well, again, it's probably, you know, it's above and beyond our comprehension as, as human beings, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we decipher the universe through our five senses, and this seems to be above and beyond our five senses. And therefore, it's difficult for us to comprehend and articulate the concepts behind it. Now, I come at this from the position of a believer, not because I think the information is cool, Right, but because I've actually done it myself, right? Yeah. I'll just tell that story quickly because I think it's it's relevant and it's interesting. Is that you no? Know, I've always been interested in hypnosis, self hypnosis, because it's about accessing the right brain, isn't it? It's about accessing the the unconscious part of the brain and where all the creativity lies and all these interesting ideas and and concepts can be understood through the ac accessing the right brain. So I was doing some practice with with self hypnosis and I was doing some automatic writing in which you put yourself into a trance. And, you know, words come out and, you know, you try and decipher them and you use them for, you know, asking questions and getting answers from your subconscious. And at the same time, I was reading some remote viewing books. I read uh, Penetration by Ingo Swan, which we'll talk about later because it's really interesting. Some stories and that. And also Psychic Tracks in the Wilderness by Graf. I think his name is Graf. Yeah. Dale Graf, that's it. And I was reading 
I was reading the stories about remote viewing and I thought, I really got to try this. This is just incredible. So I adapted the automatic writing procedure to get me into the trance state and decided to do it with drawing images. And I had a few trial runs and there was some, you know, little bits of success in there. And then I had an absolute total success with my father. He was in another apartment and I said, look, right, dad, I think I'm going to be able to get this done now. I want you to get up a picture on the internet and I want you to just stare at the picture, put yourself in a relaxed state and I will see if I can receive the information at the same time. So we did it and I said, when we're finished, we'll exchange images at the same time so there's no cheating, right? So I'm drawing away, put myself into the state, drawing away, and I drew various images, but one in particular was a famous building in, in Liverpool where I'm from called the Liver Buildings. And time was up, I said to my father, let's exchange images. He sent me what he was looking at and I sent him what I, I drew. And he sent me a picture of the Liverpool Liver Buildings and I sent him a drawing of the Liverpool Liver Buildings and it was, it was amazing. We were just like, wow, what's just happened there? But it wasn't just the drawing of the building. It was at the same angle as the photograph. And so it wasn't mm -hmm. just, you know, a random, it was actually as if the, the, the camera had taken that, that picture. So in that moment, to me, it doesn't matter what any skeptic says ever again. For me, it was proven in that moment that it works and it did work and I've, I've got evidence of it. So th that's really, really kind of piqued my interest in this subject. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, hunted you out as it were, because I'm speaking to one of the masters of this field. So yeah, so for the skeptics listening, I'd suggest maybe having a go themselves. That's it. You know, people ask me for a demonstration and I've gotten to where I'm not going to spend my entire life demonstrating that it works one, one person at a time to what, almost 7 billion people now. But you get a person to try it for themselves. They see it works. That's, that's what proves it. If I give a demonstration and prove that it works, it only proves that I can do it. It never proves that they can do it. And so, so yeah, when somebody wants a demonstration, I'll say, okay, here's what you do and get a pen and paper. Here's what you do. And I have a picture in an envelope. Let's see how you can do it. Yeah. So oh, you no, do, I'll get a demonstration. <laughs> demonstration. No, uh, -uh. no, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. <laughs> it's, it's repeatable. You can do it over and over. Yeah. Mm. So, so I know it was declassified in 1997, I think. And then yeah. that declassified CIA document came out, I think it was about 2003. Yeah, maybe around about that time. And then Hollywood decided that they wanted to do a treatment on this subject. And they made a film called The Men Who Stare at Goats. And I believe... George Clooney was cast as you. <laughs> awesome, very good, very good. But that film was not a positive take on, on this science, this insight. It was an attack. It was trying to ridicule the whole uh, Project Stargate uh, era. And I get the sense that it might've been the, the CIA or the people who declassified it were trying to debunk it in the minds of the public because they didn't want people, you know, picking up this information and finding out more details of what's really going on behind the curtain. What's your take on that film? Actually, 
their technique has been to turn it out to the internet, which has completely destroyed it. You know, destroyed its reputation and all that because you've got all these people who are doing that. The John Ronson, Ron Johnson, John Ronson, John Ronson, who made, who made the men who stare at goats, is funded by the psychops, the uh, you know professional debunkers, and so that's where the funding came from. And his job was to to absolutely ridicule everything we did. They did some filming out here at White Sands, right near where I live. And they wouldn't let me on the set because they were ridiculing what we did. And we did a lot of funny stuff, you know. I could have told them other funny things, you know, make me. But when I watched the movie... I laughed all the way through it. You know, it starts off by, you wouldn't believe how much of this that's in the movie is true. And uh, except for the plot of the movie, which was designed to add, you know, compact 20 years of people and events into one story, except for the plot of the movie, it happened. Yeah, one of the... I didn't kill the goat. <laughs> okay. I didn't kill the goat. One other sergeant did. Yeah. And and it's scarily easy, frighteningly easy. I would never teach it to anybody. So, so let's but, talk a little um, bit about Project Stargate then. Let's go a little bit into detail. So you were transferred from a unit in Germany to the remote viewing unit. Was that Project Stargate? Yeah, and was you brought in as a practitioner to be trained? Because I know later on you became a trainer yourself, didn't you? You were training psychic soldiers. Yeah, yeah. I became the uh, the unit trainer. Yeah, when I went in, it was Project Center Lane. It's had lots of names, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, it's had seven different names. They would have the project. It would be a black project. And as soon as it got discovered, they would disband the project completely. And the next day they would come in and they'd say, here's some different rubber stamps. So you're in a new project now, keep working. And uh, so it changed names seven times. And uh, people now say, well, did it just change names again? Now that we've been told that it was disbanded? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I retired, they don't tell me, they don't tell me secrets anymore. My standard answer is, the government would have been foolish, absolutely foolish, to get rid of this project. But even even because if the enemy or China or Russia or whatever other countries have their own psychic unit, you know, they're going to have a, an advantage over those who don't. You know, so it's it, it seems to be yeah, like it's imperative in any kind of arms race, you know, that you've got to a psychic unit uh, yeah. heading off on the astral plane against uh, other psychic soldiers. Yeah, I have kept up with this. The others are still developing. In fact, now that this is declassified, some of the other countries are coming over and learning the controlled remote viewing, taking it back and developing their own units. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you joined the remote viewing unit, what kind of projects were they working on at that time? Because I know that it was initially began because the Russians had developed it before the Americans and they were having some success in viewing military installations, military targets. 
being one step ahead of the enemy on the battlefield. Tell us a little bit about what you know, what kind of projects you were you were working on when you joined the unit. When when I went in, they were looking for Terry Waite, who had been captured, and uh, Terry Waite. Terry Waite. Uh, oh yeah, I remember uh, him. Yeah. 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 And uh, we found him, of course. But then uh, we did projects on, of course, Saddam Hussein, the attack on Granada. I predicted the meltdown of Chernobyl four days before it happened. And, uh, you know, we were always doing this kind of work. Anything of intelligence value we were doing. A lot of rescue of missing, you know, captured soldiers. A lot of just intelligence on what the other countries are developing as far as weaponry, on their political decisions, on personal information, on their political leaders. Tell us about... Basically... Tell us about the Hussein, because I spoke to Jason Giorgiani. <laughs> Jason Giorgiani said to me in passing in a podcast that we did, you can watch that up there. He said that the remote viewing team, Project Stargate, was able to track... Saddam Hussein and find him in his foxhole even when you know when he was captured I mean I know you had some experience with the Hussein tell me tell me about that yeah we we tracked his plans and intentions every day we tracked what he was doing the man never stood a chance we found where he was located and all that there were many times when he could have been captured or whatever but we turned our information in to the intelligence community overall, and for some reason, that wasn't part of the plan. But, you know, we, we tracked him. Now, the one where they found him in the foxhole, that was a public thing that happened. One of the non-military people who was not a controlled remote viewer got a group together and said, let's find out where he's going to be. Well, he's got to be in a hole hiding. Well, I could have told you he won't be at a front porch waiting to watch the troops come across the field. You know, of course he's going to be hiding, but they did say in a hole, and that's where they found him. And uh, and so the the people that were in that group did a good job. They did not say where the hole was, which was what we could do. But that, that unit said, well, he will be in a hole hiding, and he was. Now, afterwards, we were often tasked with finding, and beforehand too, we were often tasked with finding his weapons, find what kind of weapons they were, what kind of plans he had for them, their exact location, and, and so on. But this group that did that as a civilian experiment, it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. They did a good job. It's it's like, uh, why even bother having any privacy laws or any kind of like privacy action if the governments have remote viewers who can access your head, you know, and, and see what you're seeing and, you know, all of your private things. Maybe it's, you know, we all need to learn how to do this. So, uh, you know, the privacy becomes a, a secondary issue. We're all, you know, we can all see everything. A lot of people get paranoid about this. You know, the government's spying on me and all this. <laughs> well, it sounds like they are. <laughs> uh, this is so labor intensive. 
and so much work, even after the session, which is a ton of work. You've got all the reporting to do and, and all of this, that it's just not being used. Aside from that, there was originally Presidential Order 11905, which was replaced by Presidential Order 12333, which made it a prison offense for us to spy on U.S. citizens. Using remote viewing. Using anything. Yeah. Basically, if with my clearance and my job, if I had seen you murder somebody and I reported it, I could go to jail for doing that. Yeah, without a warrant, without a sight warrant. <laughs> yeah. It, I brought, because with my clearance, I could not report on you mm. because you're a U.S. citizen. Oh, you're not. So, you know, you said with Saddam Hussein, you were able to identify weapons caches, yeah, or where they yep. were. When when you report that information, do you know, or do you report the exact coordinates, or is it a map? I mean, how does that information come to a viewer? You know, what is it clear as day? Is it in numbers? Is it in words? Is it images? How How is the viewer able to decode what's being viewed into something tangible that we can use in the real world? Many times it's trained physical responses. Sometimes it's images. Sometimes it's sounds, smells, anything like that. I know one of the hostage crises, they asked for a description of the location. I gave a description and they said, well, that, you know, that describes 20 places in the town we know this hostage is being held. And I said, yeah, but I smell, I mean, baked bread. I smell baked bread very strongly. They looked and they said, oh, this one is right near a bakery. And so, you know, you get the information in several different ways. Your subconscious can give you information and allegories and symbols. This is what I say. You have to learn the way the subconscious talks and speaks to you. And uh, many times it'll be in a physical response. You move your hand across the map. You can train yourself to feel on that map where something is. Now, there's, uh, there's different ways to do that. You can train like, okay, wherever the target is, there's a fire there. You feel across the map for heat, okay? So that is a physical response. You're, when your subconscious, when your hand gets to the place with the, on the map where it is, your subconscious will give you the feeling of heat. By the same token, you can say, okay, I'm going to drag a map, drag a ruler down across the map. And wherever the target is, there's a boat. Oh, there it is. Draw a line. Draw it across this way. Oh, there's the boat. Draw a line. X marks the spot. So, and there are all different kinds of ways that your subconscious can talk to you. And so, so being a viewer is not so much about seeing the images or feeling the images. It's it's more about a skilled viewer is how you interpret them. Uh, being able to turn that into usable information rather than just a swirling kind of mess in your head. Right. How do you report what your subconscious? Right. I see. Yeah. 
So when you're learning remote viewing, it's learning how to report what you find more than anything else? That's right. Yeah. And here's one of the things about remote viewing. If somebody wants to try this at home, my website is crviewer, crviewer.com. And uh, you go to free resources. And I have over 450 targets that are interesting targets. None of them are blood and guts, emotionally disturbing targets. And make one rule for yourself. Whatever I think about that target, I'm going to describe its color, its shape, its smell, its taste, its luminance, whatever, but I will not name it. One of the first things you learn in controlled remote viewing mm. is forget nouns. The minute you say, oh, I'll bet it's a car. Because You're it's trapped. like, it's uh, one of the things that I kind of read about remote viewing is that we don't see numbers or letters because, you know, they're a human invention, as it were, and they're just abstract symbols. But, you know, so right. they're not things that, because one of the questions is, well, why can't you win the lottery? Because, you know, we don't see numbers or viewers don't see numbers. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? That's one reason. Yeah. Another is that people get more interested in the money than they in the remote viewing. Yeah. And they don't do the remote viewing correctly, but there is a way that we have found to win the lottery and it works. It's a, it's a different form of using remote viewing. You want me to explain it quickly? Yeah, of course. So it, this is about future viewing, is it? Rather than, you know, what's future happening viewing. in the future viewing. So whereas normal remote viewing is, you know, in the here and now, this is a different technique. Yeah. This is basically time travel. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you need a friend to help you with this, okay? You get a friend and uh, you have learned from your remote viewing that you're really good at taste, let's say, describing the taste of something. Okay, so you get a friend to get 10 different things, chocolate, Coca-Cola, beer, salt, vinegar, 10 different things that have totally different tastes. And they associate those tastes, each taste with a number zero through nine. Okay. Now I'm going to test you to see what's on the lottery ball. What number is on the lottery ball? The first lottery ball of the pick three. Okay. Ignore the lottery. And tomorrow, I'm going to give you something to taste. If a zero is on the ball, I'll give you some vinegar. If a one is on the ball, I'll give you some sugar. Two, I'll give you some salt or whatever. Now, you've learned to remote view. Ignore the lottery completely. Move to tomorrow and tell me what you taste. Oh, I taste salt. I know what number is going to be on the ball. <laughs> it's going to be a three. Mm -hmm. Right? And so by doing it, there's this called associative method. Yeah. But, but once you learn to move in time 
and get a physical response. Then I can set up these 10 different tastes. You tell me what you taste. What you taste is going to be determined by what was on the ball. Mm. And when you tell me today what you're going to taste tomorrow, I will know what's going to be on the ball this evening. So you would put yourself in a, in a you know a remote viewing state, project yourself to some time into the future, and then you have right. a friend ask you, well, what what do you taste? Yeah, and if whatever whatever those tastes are correspond to a number, yeah, and then you can draw the number. I'm going to try it. <laughs> if I win, Lynn, I'll make sure that you get a big cut of the lottery. Okay. <laughs> I was on a radio interview over in Dublin, and we tried this. And they had 27,000 listeners predict the stock for a specific stock the next day, whether it was going to go up or down. And the, the radio interviewer didn't tell anybody what the stock was. He didn't tell them basically what the associations were. But he came back the next day and said, you know, 27,000 people predicted it, you know, a majority of them predicted it, significant majority predicted it correctly. Yeah. Amazing. So let's take it back a little bit to Project Stargate because it always fascinates me. I can listen to stories about Project Stargate all night. Now, I know one of the most prominent figures during this era and this project was Ingo Swan, who was meant to be one of the most gifted psychics that has, you know, ever been recorded, as it were. And not only, you know, did he, he, he view many things, but he invented entire techniques like the remote viewing that we've been talking about. Yeah. Now, I've read Ingo's book called Penetration, which there's some amazing stories in there. And he talks about how he was recruited by the American government with you know these unnamed government agencies turned up took him off to some underground base and he was recruited to view the moon right and mm-hmm. some of the stories in that book about what he viewed on the moon are so fantastic right and so interesting and uh, you know he was a key player in this entire era but what he kind of reported was men in black you know and I heard you talk about Men in Black a little bit. So for people listening, you know, <laughs> Men in Black is this idea that there's an unnamed government agency that are, you know, working with extraterrestrials that are on Earth in, you know, the human flesh bags. That may not be so far from the truth. You know, what, what, is, what is your understanding of Ingo Swan and the Men in Black? Well, Ingo was good friend and absolute genius, not only psychic, but... IQ-wise, absolute genius and uh, extremely talented and all that. As far as the men in black, yeah, it's basically a government situation, not only with ETs and all that, but with many different things. You mainly hear about it with ET investigations. But basically, they have an interviewer who is a trained interviewer. And by trained, I mean, he will not respond to anything you say. And when people start into these interviews, they generally try to tell a joke or something like that. Don't respond in any way at all possible. 
And, uh, and so uh, people think, oh, this is belligerent. You know, I'm in trouble and all that. And it's not so. They're just there to get information. Now, along with that trained interviewer who has basically no knowledge of what he's interviewing you for, is someone from a unit who needs the information. That person sits quietly over to the side and is trained to give no response as well. But that person has briefed the interviewer. The interviewer asks you questions back and forth. And uh, I, this is in my book, so it's not, I had had an experience. I was out at a classified facility one time doing some work and I met an old army buddy and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I can't tell you. What are you doing here? Oh, he couldn't tell me. <laughs> and so he said, well, what's your security clearance? And I told him, and he said, well, maybe I could show you what I do. We went to a, once they checked me out, they went to a hangar and uh, there was all this airplane wreckage. We were walking through it. He was explaining how they put the wreckage back together. And I had had an reduction experience. And in that wreckage, I saw that part of the UFO's control panel. And I said, I thought of a UFO. And I immediately got the bombs rush out of there. But the thing is that the men in black then, when they found out about this experience, I was up at the Defense Intelligence Agency one time, and one time later, and uh, walking to the director's office, and these two men in black stepped out into the hallway, motioned for me to go into this room. <laughs> so I went in there, sat down, and I knew the procedure by then, because I had dealt with them before. And uh, so the interviewer sat in there and asked me about 10 different questions, and you would ask them five different ways every time, just to see if you would trip yourself up. They were asking me about this control panel. And, uh, and how it worked. And when they said they were doing UFOs, I thought, oh, great. They're trying to see if somebody with my clearance is crazy, you know. But they weren't. They were interested in this control panel. So he asked me a question about the third time. I re-explained it. The guy over to the left, who had been quiet, slapped his leg and he said, so that's it. And I realized right then, he's got one and doesn't know how to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked back at the viewer and I grinned really big. He didn't respond, but his ears just got beat red. You know, you could tell he was, steam should have been coming out of his ears. <laughs> and within 20 seconds, they were, they were gone. But so yeah, men in black, black are real. That this is a real thing, then yeah. Oh yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're interviewers. They're just there to find information. Yeah. yeah. So Swan, Ingo Swan. I mean, how long was he working 
with you and the project Stargate? Because did he continue right up until the project was cancelled or so-called cancelled? No, his contract with the government got cancelled the week before I got to the unit. Oh, wow. So I didn't get official training with Ingo. I became his friend later, and we had long conversations and all that. So, you know, we became friends. I learned a lot from him. Mm. But initial training, when I came into the unit, was from his students who had already been trained. And there were about five of them there who had already been trained. They gave me the training. It was later that I met Ingo, became friends with him, and, uh, and you know, learned that way. Recently in the news, Mikhail Gorbachev has just died. And I remember him well, you know, he was the guy that ended communism in Russia and the Cold War ended with him, you know, and this, this war that the West was fighting with Russia, which went on for decades, you know, he was the guy that brought it to an end. He's been given a state funeral in, in Russia, but there's a lot of Russians that regard him as, you know, as a traitor because he, you know, succumbed to the pressures of the West and basically lost the war. And when we chatted earlier, you kind of mentioned Gorbachev, or I might have heard you talk about Gorbachev before. Was he one of the targets of Project Stargate? His plans and intentions, you know, he was a nice guy. He was he was one of the best things Russia could have, could have gotten. After he did all of that, he was just sort of run out of office and all that, which was one of the worst things that could have happened to Russia at the time. But yeah, but we were doing that. We we were tasked with leaders of different countries, yeah. Oh, uh, I'll go into details. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what what theoretically or you know, hypothetically, what would be what would be the mission to deal with foreign leaders? Would it be to see what they see? Or would it be to try and, try and influence them to change their plans? I mean, or was it all of those things? We were not supposed to ever do active mental work. Remote influencing is what it's called. We remote influencing. Well, just, just sorry to interrupt you. Could you just explain that a little bit? What's what remote influencing is? If I could get into my own subconscious mind, I'd get into yours, right? And your subconscious is really what rules you. Your logical mind really doesn't. And so by getting into your subconscious, I can influence you to change your thinking and that will change your, acti your activities, okay? Now I say influence, it's not control, it's not mind control. It's in, it should be called remote persuasion because, you know, you influence somebody that, yeah, that makes sense and all that. The next three, they're back to, they've changed their mind again and all this. You have to do the remote influencing sometimes hundreds of times before you actually change a person, before you actually influence their activities. But we were forbidden to do that. Now, whether they've had a unit that would do that or not, I don't know. But we were there to collect intelligence only. And therefore, we looked for plans and intentions. We looked for the 
physical things like activities that were going on at a military base or something like that. And passing that up to analysts at the Defense Intelligence Agency. But the activities and the number of people there, the amount of food that's been ordered to feed the troops, he passed that up. And the Defense Intelligence Agency can analyze that and know what's going to be happening, knowing when something major is going to happen and all that. So, yeah, we were, we were there to collect intelligence only. But, you know, I wouldn't put anything past the U.S. government or the U.S. military is all fair and love and war, isn't it, in a, as a military doctrine? You know, if... Well, you, don't, you don't have to say U.S. Any, no, but yeah. any countries. It's, it's all this. But I say the U.S. because it's the most military, it's the most advanced military in the world, you know. So it's uh, well, <laughs> okay. Is that questionable as well? Is it? <laughs> yeah, in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if so, where I'm, where I'm kind of trying to go with this this idea is if we can have our spiritual sovereignty, our spiritual sovereignty invaded. Right, by psychics, and they can influence our thoughts and behaviors. Is there a defense to a spiritual attack? You know, by learning remote viewing and all of the associated tools and techniques of psychic abilities, is it possible to defend against these type of psychic attacks? It is possible, and you have to learn how to do it. Yeah. So, so what kind of, you know, if one was to, if people were listening to this, right, and they wanted to uh, become skilled at remote viewing, but even more importantly, they wanted to stop or defend against somebody attacking our spiritual sovereignty, what kind of techniques would they be able to use to, to stop that type of invasion? In the CRV training, that we get the control remote gun training. By the way, control doesn't mean that you're controlled as a viewer. It means you have control over the remote viewing. We give you control over the remote viewing. In the CRV, part of the training is protection for yourself. Hmm. For instance, when you access a an ill person to find out whether, you know, help a doctor. Okay. If they're physically ill, that's one thing. So you can you, you can use remote viewing to do a diagnosis of somebody who's ill. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, Amazing. but if they're emotionally or spiritually ill or mentally ill, that's a danger to you as a viewer. You can get sucked into some of that stuff. You don't want that. So we teach protection of the viewer. As a normal part of the training, yeah. Because mm. I think that's something that would definitely be, uh, I'd be interested in learning, yeah. There's some Aikido, some remote viewing uh, defense techniques, yeah, because, you know, I don't want to be getting targeted by uh, the CIA, <laughs> the CIA's, you know, spiritual uh, spooks. Well, we knew that the Russian psychics were trying to find us because they knew we were working. They were trying to find us, and we had to protect ourselves, you know. Of course. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is that 
what we're told officially is that Project Stargate was disbanded 10 years ago, maybe, right? And we're told that uh, all of a sudden the American military said, okay, no, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going we're gonna to stop doing psychic research and stop having psychic soldiers. But I find that implausible and hard to believe if they were having success on the battlefield from psychic soldiers who were able to give them just intelligence, just raw intelligence rather than actual, you know, influencing. If that was really happening, then there's no way that they're going to give up that tool. And if they haven't given up that tool, and it's now another 30 years since it was so-called disbanded, you know, the advancement in technique, in their abilities to project psychic power must be, you know, even more advanced than it was when, when you guys were doing it. What are your thoughts on the official statement that the US government have stopped using psychic soldiers? I've retired. They don't tell me secrets anymore. <laughs> no, in a, in a hypothetical universe, what do you think it's implausible that they just stop? Like I say, I think they would be stupid yeah. to do that. But that raises, that changes the question entirely. Mm. Do governments ever do anything stupid? Every day. Yeah. Every day. So they don't tell me secrets anymore. I don't know. I think it's an important question to, to try and find the answer to because if it is true and governments have become, or, or, you know, highly, highly top secret parts of governments are actively using psychic techniques in order to manipulate world events, whether they are elections, whether they're wars, you know, who knows? I think it's important that we know that that's happening or not. And we can have a conversation about the spiritual, religious, cultural, ethical implications of what that means for our civilization, for our society. Is it a positive thing that, you know, we are developing these techniques? You know, is it something that is going to advance humanity? Because I've had this conversation with Jason Giorgiani in which Right now, we are at the threshold of, you know, a, a complete transformation of civilization with the Great Reset and transhumanism, where the species is being taken off to AI, in which we're connected to this digital mainframe. But do we really need to go in that direction if we already have these abilities through, you know, developing our psychic tools? I mean, tell me about, you know, the ethical implications of, what these discoveries mean. The ethical implications of it being declassified so that it's turned out to the public is one thing. You say, you know, we need to know what the governments are doing and all that. Too bad. You're not going to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not going to know. But once it's turned out to the public like this, there are tremendous emotional, spiritual, ethical things that are being learned and the controlled remote viewing and the remote viewing in general, I think, um, I think is helping people very much. You get in touch with your own subconscious mind. It's smarter than you are. It's there to protect you. People who are paranoid or or... or you know, have the emotional problems, 
one of the big problems is they don't know themselves. And of course, psychoanalysts, psychotherapists, and all that make a living off of being able to connect you to your subconscious. Well, there's a way you can do it yourself. And, uh, and you know, you can be trained. And once you do, you find out that you have an inner friend who's extremely intelligent, extremely fast, that can be depended on. And, uh, and yeah, it changes your life for the better. The, the spiritual impact. One of the first things you learn in this is that whatever you've learned about time, throw it out. It's not real, not true. What have you learned about space? You learn a little bit later, throw that out too. Whatever you've learned about the spiritual aspect of humans has been colored by belief systems and all that. You learn that it's, it's not that at all. And once you get in touch with your inner self and what's beyond your inner self, oh yeah, changes everything. Did you find that your experiences within this realm brought you closer to God? Is it made you more of a believer in life after death? Has it, you know, made you more positive about life itself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me give you one session that happened. I had been doing Saddam Hussein and other bad people, other crazies, you know, and it was wearing me down. It really was. I went into our director and I said, look, give me Bozo the Clown, give me Mother Teresa, give me something for Give me a change, you know. And he said, you're a soldier. Do your damn job and get out of my office. Okay. And so continued on for a couple of weeks more. And then one day the monitor came in and he was sealed envelope. And he said, we have a personality assessment on a person. And a personality assessment is where you observe the person and report their activities and, and what you observe. Plans and intentions is where you get into their mind and into their thought. Okay. But they wanted a personality assessment. So I started off and one of the first things I said was, I don't think this is a good target. This is a good guy. And the monitor said, hey, do your job. So I did the job. And uh, at the end of the session, most of my report was, whatever evil you think this guy did, he didn't do it. In that session, I had what's called a perfect site integration or bilocation in ego terms, where you cannot tell that you're not at the site. And I'm standing here in front of this person and interacted with the person. And uh, this person was so pure and so good that I felt like I was just grudging nothing. And he let me know that it was okay, that 
Whatever bad I had ever done, he'd seen worse. Whatever good I've ever done, he's seen better. That I was just me, and he accepted me. Yeah, just like that. So anyway, came out of the session, and I said, whatever evil do you think this guy did, he didn't do it. And so the monitor said, well, let's see who the guy was. He opened it up, and our director had handwritten on a piece of paper, Jesus. And I'm not saying I met Jesus face-to-face -face in person and all that, but I met Jesus in the remote viewing session. And what I learned was everything I've ever felt guilty for, he's seen worse. Everything I've ever been proud of that I did good, he's seen better. He didn't care. He accepts me like I am. And that changed my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it's had a very positive experience on you and, and your on your life. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about time loops. Because yeah. that's a really, really interesting part of remote viewing and telekinesis and stuff. Because yeah. it's one of the you know, the challenges of scientists, isn't it, in the in the physical realm to try and describe time loops. And it's one of the challenges of any film director of how well he handles time and time loops because the concepts involved are so strange and they have so many multiple implications in many directions. I mean, I think one of the best films that deals with time is Back to the Future. I think he, you know, yeah. they really handle the, 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 the story well. But in remote viewing, in a time travel remote viewing, where you look into the future and you can see things that can benefit you in the present, yeah. whether that's inventions, whether that's, you know, important information that you can bring back and utilize. How does that work? Because wouldn't, wouldn't taking something from the future and bringing it into the present alter the future from which you took it from in the first place. I mean, I'll, I'll explain time loops from a, a remote viewing perspective. Okay. As for how does that work, I can tell you exactly. It works really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the associative remote viewing. What do you got to taste tomorrow? Stop. Mm. Ball number is going to be three, you yeah. know. And so on. And yeah, you're making a time loop where you're going to the future, gaining information, bringing it back, and using it now. You can also do that with the past. Mm. You can gain information. A writer can find out what really happened in history, not what the history books say. And, you know, history is written by the victors. And you can, does that influence the future? Absolutely. Because now you won the lottery, yeah, your future's going to change. Right? Mm. Okay. The guys you sell... When, when you, sorry, when you right. see the... Sorry to interrupt you. So when, when you see the lottery numbers in the future, are you seeing it's your lot lottery numbers. numbers? You don't see the lottery numbers. You forget the lottery. Yeah. You taste okay. salt. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but you're trying to see a future event, yeah, that is, is uh, you know, has already happened. 
you're trying to see a future event that you can predict and you know will will make will happen. Yeah. You should have your partner will be there to give you that salt or that vinegar or whatever. Is and that event written in stone or can that event change? So is it something that's fixed in space and in time? Or then you that's secret to pay If he's not there to give you that taste, your prediction will be just a guess. It won't yeah. work. You set up a future event that you will make happen come hell or high water, no matter what. And that you can predict with accuracy. If that future prediction event is based on something in between, then you'll know what's in between. Okay? But you have got to make it happen. If you don't, your prediction is worthless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you alter the future through your... Mm -hmm prediction of the future there is a theory that has a lot behind it that says you cannot remote view anything without influencing it in some way yeah yeah and some I mean, answers yeah because it, it implies either that the future is plastic and it can be manipulated by whoever it is that wants to claim the future yeah or, or, or also there are multiple futures like the, the idea of the multiverse that can go i don't really buy into that myself but that, that there can be multiple you know people multiple versions of me in multiple futures that chose different things at different times i have no belief in that whatever okay <laughs> i don't believe it at all but yeah you can you can change the future for example after 9 11 okay i was asked to predict index terrorist attack I did, and I predicted the results of that terrorist attack. There was going to be a ship coming up outside of Georgia. They were going to bring some plant pathogens in and destroy some crops just to rub our nose in it and show that they could do it. And so I reported my results, the location and the time and all that. They were there. The ship came in. The little dinghy came in. The people came in with their canisters. They got arrested. And they never got to destroy the crops. Okay. So I had predicted the event, the time and the place. And I had predicted the crops being destroyed by the pathogens, which never took place. So, yeah, the prediction had changed that part of the future. Okay. And made me, made my prediction wrong. Hey, I'll accept that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad to be wrong in this case. And this is one thing you have to learn about predicting possible future events. Just like the weatherman says, next week there's going to be a storm or something. Okay, between now and then, he's going to change that prediction according to changes. When you predict something that is not that you have not nailed in time, 
you have to do updates just like the weatherman. Interesting. And the closer the more accurate you're going to be. Yeah. As someone, as I can imagine, you know, spends a lot of time thinking about the future and uh, trying to to see what's happening ahead. I mean, what did you see before the events of the last two and a half years, in which we've saw immense global change with the pandemic? Is that something that came through any of your readings or anybody else that was close to you, their readings? And you know, what was the prognosis based upon what it is that you might have saw? I don't like talking about this too much, but back in 1998, I was tasked to view the future of the U.S. up through 2050. In that section, I got that in the year 2020, the first major event was going to happen that was going to basically close down cities, close down schools, isolate people, have them where their communication was through electronic means, you know, through technical means, and isolate people. That And then the whole series of things that I won't really go into because it takes too long, that within, you know, it would start in 2020. And that by the year 2040, approximately 75% of the population would be dead. 25% would be left. And after that, after about the year 2040, the remainders, the survivors, would finally get their act together and this would be a great place to live. You know, as a, as a result, they would clear out the crime, the bad politics, everything else. And that humanity itself would benefit from it. But that in this 20 years, a series of man-made natural disasters was going to just start wiping people out. COVID. 19 was a man-made natural disaster. The vacation of the United States, you know, the central is drying out. That's a man-made natural disaster. Dubai has sucked all the water out of their ground. For the past 20 years or so, they've been sucking the water out of Arizona at 3,000 gallons an hour to grow crops. Those crops contain the water that's then shipped over to Dubai and to whoever they sell it to. And we're going, our, our aquifer is going dry. Okay. Man-made natural disaster. The U.S. has weather weapons. Russia has earthquake weapons. China has other weapons dealing with natural that can cause natural disasters. And uh, there will come a time when those weapons, which are much more extensive than the atomic bomb, let's say, will probably be used. I hope not. I hope we can change that future. But so far, you know, the you is going right. Do you think that remote viewing and all of the associated 
tools and techniques that that brings with it is an essential thing for people to learn do you think that we should all be doing this because you know if we can change the future through the power of our mind and collectively yep. we come together to think about making a better future isn't it beneficial that we you know all have these skills because it seems to me that the government or the powers that be or the elite or whatever we want to call them it, it seems to me that they have the power to manipulate our future our present reality because they have skills that we don't and generally speaking the public is ignorant of what the hell's going on you know do you think it's something right. that you know it, it George Arnie again. I know what to keep talking about him, but he, he deals with this as well, and he, he's a he's a fan of yours. You know, he put me on to you, and he talks about. Yeah, when um, he, was, he was here visiting. Yeah, nah. talked about it. Yeah, because so. he, he he says that the you know the the two big revolutions. One was the scientific revolution and uh, Darwinism, and he said the one revolution that will change the world completely is the the the, the psychic revolution, the, the revolution where humanity relearns these yep. latent dormant skills that we're born with that have atrophied through lack of use and that you know if we want to bring a, a better world then this is one of the ways that we can do it i'm keeping my fingers crossed yeah oh. well, well that's what you've been doing isn't it that's what you've been doing for the last well at least since it was declassified you're a trainer of the public now so tell us as we wind up the podcast tell us about you know what it is you do, you know, your training facility, you know, how people can get involved, you know, tell us about what it is that okay. you, you you train people in. I was doing services along with the training. Now that I have people trained, they form their own teams. I know which teams are valid and good. And now I'm trying to get books written. I'm trying to, I'm 83 years old. At best, you know, Queen Mom. <laughs> died at yeah. 13, 16 more years. And so I have started a, I bought an acre, 122 acre place out here in the wilderness wow. where we could do training and all that. I, so anyway, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff to get my legacy going and do the best I can personally for the world before I leave it. And uh, as far as the services go, I now have students who have their own teams who I pass these requests for services to. I still do the training, but now I do it online. And uh, I have a basic course that's 160 plus videos. I have an intermediate course. I'm coming up with an advanced course, a medical applications course, police applications courses all of these courses, trying to get those on the videos. And so my day is morning to night, but I'm teaching now over the internet with videos and we have weekly webinars for the students. So that's where I've changed my focus to. If people watching this are intrigued and they've never heard about remote viewing before, and this has turned their you know, their curiosity on and they want to go deeper and they want to try it out. I mean, what would be your advice to somebody who's never tried remote viewing before and they want to? What's the easiest way to get in this? Because I think 
what it is is that you want to get quick results so that you go yeah. okay this is interesting this works i want to develop it further how would you advise a yeah. complete beginner to get turned on to remote viewing okay there are a lot of psychic tests out there on the internet that they say you know we'll pick a random target and all that they don't they pick a generated pseudo randomly generated target and those are they're good entertainment actually if you go to my website and there are a lot of other websites by the way that do this i have 450 plus targets on there and you bring it up and it will tell you something like the target is an activity describing the target doesn't show you what it is doesn't show you anything about it no information and then you sit down and you describe what you think the activity is. Do you have to put yourself in any kind of a state of any type or just sit there and just think of it? Whatever comes to mind, you write it down. Wow. Yeah. Now, what will come to mind is a noun. Oh, I'm seeing a basketball game, you know? And so you write running back and forth and, and you know, inside indoors running back and forth and all that and you see the feedback and it's not a basketball game at all it's maybe pool you know a pool where they're bouncing the ball back and forth pool volleyball and yet you are wrong in your noun but is it indoors is it running back and forth is their ball, you know, or they're tossing back and forth and all that. And your descriptors will be from your subconscious mind and psychic. Your nouns, forget it. They're going to almost always be wrong. I did one one time and my wife was looking at an image and I drew a car driving along, you know, a road. And the image was a horse riding on a racetrack. So yeah. the actual image itself was wrong, but the action and the motion was correct, you know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Your subconscious mind is not thinking nouns. If you want to speak subconscious, forget the nouns. Yeah. That's if you want to communicate with your subconscious, forget the nouns. We tell psychotherapists. Don't ask people what, ask them to describe. And we have many psychotherapists, psychiatrists and all that who are now employing the rules of CRV into their practice of dealing with their patients. They get to their patient's subconscious mind directly and they're having great, great success. Yeah. So, Go on your website and remind us again what the website's called. I'll put a link in the description anyway. What's the website? CR, yeah, C-R-B-I-E-W-E-R, crviewer.com. So someone can go to there, find the target, mm -hmm. sit, meditate on what it is that's coming through, and how Take would they... The number it gives you the number for a target. The number. And you click on that number, or it actually gives you a date because I've done 
whatever Wednesday. Yeah. And it gives you the day. You click on that, it will give you the number for the target, but not show you the target. And the target could be the target could be a location, it could be an object, it could be whatever. Yeah. And I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, describe the activity or describe the location yeah. or describe something that's man made there, you know. And uh, so then you do your stuff, write it out. As a drawing, as a drawing as w or as words? Words, drawing, whatever. whatever you do. Get the physical act in there of getting it into paper. Then go back to the website, click on that same date again. There's a button that says feedback. Ah. You tuck your feedback. You see what the picture is. There's a full explanation in text and pictures of the target. And you judge your descriptors by the feedback. So you match and, the answer basically on the on the site. Yeah. And I can guarantee you, you go down through your descriptors and you find a noun, it's probably going to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but your descriptors, your colors, your smells, your taste, your yeah. sizes, shapes, feelings yeah. yeah cool i'm gonna go and do that when we finish this podcast for sure yeah. that's it yeah. so just to, to wrap up I know, I know you've written a book called the seventh sense do you want to tell right. us i've bought it i've started it unfortunately i was unable to read it in time for the podcast but when i speak to you again we will uh, definitely talk about the book tell us a little bit about about the book you know why people should go and they, buy it Basically, it's my time in the recounting of my time in the unit. A lot of the work that we did, there are appendices back in the back that explain the control route going to you and, and the basics of how to do it. The, the book is basically just that. It's sort of a history of my time in the unit, what we did. I turned it into Simon and & Schuster, and it had another 125 pages of all the laws, regulations, everything that we did as a unit and restrictions that we had. And they cut it out and they said, oh, this kind of junk is just entertainment for new agents anyway. <laughs> but but I, I had no control over the book. So, but the book is about my time in the unit, what we did, and then the appendices sort of breached Trying to know how to do it yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Lynn. I think the work you're doing is just incredible. And it really, really yeah. fascinates me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to chat to you about it. And I'm going to go and practice my, my remote viewing yeah, and see, see, see if I can go win the lottery. You'll get the call if I do. Have you got any last words that you'd like to leave our audience with? Just the morning that. 99% of the stuff you find out about remote viewing on the internet is garbage. Like I say, the way the U.S. government went out to destroy the remote viewing is by turning it over to the internet, by turning it over to the public. But the controlled remote viewing is the military method, and that's really what you want to look for. Just be careful. And before you put your money down on any training at all, mine included, make sure it's what you want.
Yeah. Okay, well, then Buchanan, thanks so much. And I look forward to the next time we can speak. Thanks for coming on the show. Really enjoyed this. Thank you very much.